0: Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now, let's go. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and germs. (laughs) Sorry, that was dumb. That was like my best Tim Ferriss impression. (laughs) By the way, if you don't know who Tim Ferriss is, you should totally go check out his podcast. It's one of my favorites. It is The Tim Ferriss Show, but this is not The Tim Ferriss Show. This is The Sandbox. Welcome. I am your host, Justin Peters. And this show is geared towards the 20-something. On the show, I invite guests in to have conversations to tease out their skills and strategies that make them incredible, with the intent of hopefully inspiring you to jumpstart your life. Today's guest is no different. He spent 15 years in higher education. He started as a resident advisor during his undergrad and has worked his way up to the Director of Residence Life, Housing, and Conference Services at the University of North Texas in Dallas. He has his master's in higher education administration, and he's working on his doctorate in education as well. These are all remarkable accomplishments for anyone, but truly incredible for someone that up until his senior year of high school didn't believe that he'd be going to college, let alone working for one. This conversation is packed with stories about hustle, determination, and playing the long game, and I have to tell you, you need to listen to the story on How He Met the Rock. It is one of my favorites on the podcast to date. I loved it so much. Anyway, this uh, episode is perfect for someone who may be getting a lot of rejection lately and needs a pick-me-up. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Daniel D. Goins. What is up, my man? Welcome into the Sandbox.
1: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Glad to be here.
0: <laughs> I, I'm pumped for this conversation. I've had I've had so much fun doing some research on you. I've had a couple conversations with, with mutual friends of ours, and whenever I talk to people about you, their face just lights up. And so many people have told me, like, you are just infectious with your, your personality, and... I I love that. It's so admirable. But something that has also come up multiple times is your determination and your grit. And I thought that was super interesting. I didn't know that about you whenever we first connected. Uh, But everyone says you're the biggest hustler out there. And, you know, even Kevin, who I think, man, puts in a ton of work, he's like, D had me thinking about what I needed to do over the weekend at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, during our prep call, you told me a story, and I thought uh, this story would maybe illustrate your personality perfectly. So D, maybe we can start off by telling uh, a little bit about your journey to Webster University. So I'd love to know about high school D and your quest to college.
1: Sure, man, sure. High school D man not not much there um, I was living in South City I was a part of a uh, at the time it was called the DSEG program where basically inner city students could be bused out to the county uh, to go to school districts out there so I woke up at about 5 a.m every day got ready was on a bus stop about 545 on a bus for about an hour and a half, finally got to school about 7.30, ate breakfast, went to class, got on a bus, took a nap in the afternoon for an hour and a half <laughs> on my way uh, back to the city. So um, I didn't know anybody going into high school. And so that kinda, I let that take over too much, more than what it should have. I should have probably been been more involved or out there but that summer my dad had died or no two summers before my dad had died so I was in a space of okay when I get home I need to go to work mm. I had a little job rolling newspapers for I think I was getting 10 cent a paper <laughs> so I was rolling newspapers and um, it was a it was an under the table cash job I was doing that and then I thought about you know, what it means to, like, have time. So I hired, like, two two kids on the block to come and do that, and I was paying them three cents a paper. What? So Yeah, so it meant more papers that would be rolled, and it means that I would be able to have a payout, like, to them, give them some of what I was doing, but I didn't necessarily have to be there, but I would still get a cut of the money. Um, but but anyway, my my position in football was ass back. You know, <laughs> anytime I tried to get in the game, the coach said, "Goins, get that ass back on the bench." <laughs> so, so I was ass back there, so not much happening. Um, and I, and graduation night, I man, I, I I had a lot of regrets. I didn't have any girlfriends in college or anything mm. like that because I was more so just working. Man, it was how do I take care of my mom and my brother how do I still provide and you know college wasn't on my mind at all um so I got another job worked at bush stadium the old bush stadium selling peanuts i started right around the mark mcguire and sammy sosa uh home run like derby i guess or a competition yeah to, to break those records like who would be the first to 70 So I started selling peanuts in that era. So that was a very lucrative um, career. A lot of people laughed at me because they was like, oh, you out there selling peanuts? And I'm like, yeah, but look, like, look at this lunch I'm about to be able to buy today. Mm -hmm. I don't have to eat the regular school lunch. I can buy the Patriot lunch is what it was called. (laughs) And it was like all these different franchises that would come and set up that day. And I was like, yeah, but I can do this and I can, you know." so I was cool with that. Um, High school graduation night rode around and I literally knew a person to my left and a person to my right because all throughout high school assemblies and everything you had to sit in alphabetical order so I literally hmm. knew these two people and I remember sitting on graduation night it was at Queenie Park is where our graduation was and I was about to cry because I was like wow that time flew by And I don't know any of these people walking across the stage Mm. like that. I may have seen them, but I don't know anything about them. And uh, I really did want to cry that night, but I didn't. I held it together. Um, And my high school English teacher, I believe his name was Lloyd Herring. I had to write this paper in his class one time. And I think I got a little emotional in the writing or something and I finally let my feelings come out. And he's like, you should go to college. You should apply to Webster University. I was like, no, man, I'm I'm good. I'm not going to college. And every day for four years, riding a bus on 44, I passed Western University twice a day, but mm. had no idea what it was.
0: Mm.
1: So my senior year, he told me to apply. He helped me with my materials. My high school guidance counselor, he was terrible. I'm not gonna say his name, I don't want to put him on blast, but he was terrible. And I can say that now, looking back, because that's what, exactly what my dissertation is on. Um, high school student preparation for college. And so what I'm researching is around what are guidance counselors doing? But now with the research that I've seen and looking back, like he he didn't wanna see me succeed. I don't think he saw anything in me. And so um, I hope he's doing good wherever he is though. I hope he's not in that same field um, in terms of guiding students because he did a terrible job. But I hope he's doing good and doing something that he's good at because he wasn't good at that. Um, But anyway, I applied to Webster. I got denied the first time. I applied to Webster again. I got denied again. I applied to Webster a third time, and I got accepted on academic probation. The reason I think I didn't get accepted those first two times is because I got the same exact score on the ACT. I got a 15 on the ACT both times. One time I prepped one time I did not prep. I was like, okay, um, you know, I'm not a good test taker. I will own that and admit that, but why is this so important to get into a university? So that third, the third time I finally got in and, um, the Webster admissions crew came to my school one day, and I was on a field trip, but they had met with my teachers, and I guess they met with my academic counselor or um, guidance counselor. but I got in on academic probation, and I was happy but at the same I was happy that I got into college because I looked at it as a fresh start four years to start all over, but at the same time, I thought about probation and probation, where I grew up at and how I'm familiar with the term is that you're on probation is something with the law, you're in trouble, you gotta, you gotta be careful about what you do, you can't screw up or anything like that. So I was like, okay, academic probation means that academically, I just can't screw up. So that was my determination to really have that fresh start, man. And, and, and I didn't wanna be labeled as this student on academic probation. Hmm. So, so when I got to Webster, I was, I was ready, man. I was just like, okay, fresh start. My mom, she told me one thing. She told me a moving day. She was like, you don't have to like, you know, meet everyone or you know, get involved in every single thing. And she was coming from a point of burnout. Don't overextend yourself. But to me, I was thinking the opposite. I was like, no, I got to do every single thing. Mom. Like high school, I didn't have to pay to be there and I didn't do anything. But now since we have to pay to be here, I have to max out. I have to do every single thing. Yes. And so um, that was like move-in day at Webster, which also, or move-in weekend. And then which also happened to be for me, like the last, the very last orientation weekend, which is where I saw. John Buck and Ted Hafen, That's that's really when I was like, oh man, oh these guys, they yeah, yeah, they, let's, were,
0: let's, they were they were
1: cool looking dudes. man.
0: Let's hold that thought because I I want to jump into to John Buck and Ted. Uh, I yeah. I think I, I definitely want to talk about that, but I want to put a pin in. You get into Webster as well. Um, yeah. It wasn't as easy as you know showing up on on in day, right? You 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 weren't even planning on on living on campus. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yeah, correct, man. I was, I was, I didn't even know how I was gonna get to Webster. When I got admitted, I was like, okay, cool. I got into a college and then I started researching the bus routes and I was like, I can walk to a bus stop and it'll take me as close to the university I can get and then I'll have about a mile and a half walk. I was prepared to do that. But my mom, she she found a lady selling a car. It was a 1994 baby blue Ford Tempo and I think the lady only wanted like 600 bucks for it. So we bought that car. Uh, It didn't have a muffler on it. So, you know, it was like whoo, like you can hear. And that was like the joke. Like, you know, you can hear me when I'm coming, like no matter, you can hear me from a mile away, literally because that car had no muffler, but it would get the job done from getting me to point A to point B. But I did get a call two days before move-in day that I got a spot on campus. Mm. and So I was eager. They told me, Kelly Malone, she told me, she said, I will call you. She was the housing assignments coordinator, I believe, at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She said, I'll call you when you have a spot or when you can come. Basically, don't call me. I'll call you. Yeah. So she called me, told me I had that spot. I packed up packed up the tempo, and I made my way out to Webster, so like, yo, I'm here, like, <laughs> I'm ready to check in, you know, let me get these keys, let me do, you know, whatever I need to do. And they're like, you're a little bit early, and we told you we'll oh, call you. But man, I was so determined, I was so eager to get there and start. So they let me drop my stuff, some of my stuff off that I had brought, they let me drop that off, but then they told me I had to come back two days later.
0: To, uh, to actually- <laughs> All right, you 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 can unpack the car, leave your stuff, yeah. but you still gotta leave. But you still gotta leave,
1: and and so, and so, man, like, I don't know if this is an appropriate story for now or later, but I was under the impression from two thousand four to two thousand and seventeen that I was next on the wait list for a spot.
0: Mm.
1: But in reality, and I didn't find this out until. September 2017 at the Webster University Student Life Hall of Fame induction ceremony that John Buck told me that my mom actually showed up to the campus advocating on my behalf for me to get a spot on campus. So 13 years, I didn't know that. Mm. And and, and it's like, man, like the shit that a parent will do to, to set their kid up and put them in a different environment. I, the whole time, I thought I was next on the wait list. Yeah, and it went yeah. until that night that I found out. And indeed, I was not next on the waiting list, but, you know. Um, she
0: got you there, huh? She
1: she got me there. She pulled some strings. And, you know, the Jump. folks at Webster work, worked with her. And, and, you know, I'm hoping that whoever was really next on the waiting list would have probably, you know, decided to move out at the semester because I will feel bad if it was like <laughs> somebody would. But, but let me tell you this, but now that drives my everyday work, even mm. even without knowing that my mom did that, she pulled that card and then Webster moved like that for me. Now in my role, I'm able to oversee if students are in a position where they need campus housing. Anytime, anytime there's ever need, I'm always... Yes, 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 yes. No matter what the reason is because that's what happened to me.
0: Yeah.
1: I got on. So we need to get them on. That could be their that could be their only their only hope. And for me, getting on campus, Webster was 15 minutes from my house. And then my senior year, after I got in and I was on a bus, I would look out the window like, "Yeah, like that's where I'm going. Like that's Webster <laughs> University. <Fuck> that's yeah. <laughs> that's where I'm going." It was 15 minutes away driving But on the bus, it took an hour and a half because we had all these stops. But it was 15 minutes away from my house, but it was out of town. It still was out of town college for me. Like, I was still going to a small college town in my mind.
0: Yeah, John. John was telling me that story about your mom showing up, and he told me that she brought your prom pictures with <laughs> with her, and literally was like, "Look how gorgeous my son is! You need to have him on campus." I was just like, "the the extent that your mom went for you." Do you feel like she rubbed off on you, or gave you some some kind of that characteristic? Are you trying to channel some of that that same mentality now that you're? I, I'm assuming you're a new father, right?
1: Yes, sir. I think you know. I think. I think it definitely has rubbed off in terms of service. She She's very much into service and doing for others. Um, and, you know, service is, is the price that we pay for existing and being on earth, not just, you know, doing something. Cause you got a, a couple hours to spare this month and you want to go, you know, pass out some sack lunches or something like that. But, you know it's it's a it's a part of everyday life and so i do think some of that has rubbed off on me in terms of if my basic needs are met i'm good you know i don't need anything else um how can how can i serve others how can we serve others um so i definitely do see that um as something that i want to show to my daughter also around like you know Give as much as you can. If you if you're good in a position, and you don't need anything, or if you do still need something, but then you know somebody else needs it too. You know, give and you'll be rewarded. Type of thing. So so I do think that, you know, that is that is rubbed off on me for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's jump back into John Buck now. Um, yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about how you met met John. Um, it, and we'll start there.
1: So. Buck, man. So, freshman orientation. We were in the uh, I forgot what it was called the Cyber Cafe, maybe or something in the library. We had an orientation in that back, that little, that little back conference room in the basement of the library. Mm-hmm. I see John Buck and Ted Hafe, and they both had these next tail chirp walkie talkie phones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and at the time, that was that was like that was the phone to have.
0: That's like and iPhone so, X equivalent right now.
1: Basically, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the phone to have, and I only knew about the phone from like, you know, my neighborhood older guys in my neighborhood, like you know, the bootleg DVD and CD dude just pulling out his phone, the walkie-talkie chirp. I associated that phone with cool people. Mm. So when I see John Buck and Ted Hafe. Both these white dudes, you know, and <laughs> Webster Groves with these next-tail chirp phones. I'm like, yo, I, like, that's what I associated cool with at the time. So that's how I need to, that's how I need to, you know, work my way in. I need to figure <laughs> out who these guys are and learn who they are. And then they, they gave their introductions. And today said he was the dean of students. And John Buck said he was the director of housing and residence life. Um, and so, I was like, okay, cool. They they walked up to every student, gave an introduction and you know, welcomed them to Webster. And I felt connected uh, immediately by them. Um, and the semester went on, I was trying to get a campus job. And so I tried to get a job in the housing office, but they were full. And I checked every week, just like I checked on I showed up just like I showed up on moving day two days early. I kept showing up asking for jobs. I was like, did anybody quit today? Did y'all have to fire anybody today? Did y'all <laughs> need an extra person today? I was just, it was so convenient. It was like walk down a flight of steps and the office was right there. So I, I couldn't literally just walk down the steps and go to work. But nothing, nothing opened up for me. Uh, but over winter break, no, so so freshman year I got involved in RHA. And Buck, I think he was a maybe a second advisor to RHA or something. That freshman year. And, like, and what is what is RHA? A residence Hall Association. Okay. So it's like a Student Government Association, but only for students who live on campus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Buck was doing all these like leadership retreats and stuff like that. And I went on one and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this dude's pretty cool. Like bringing the team together. And like when he was talking to a group about like dynamics and stuff, I was like, damn, Man, this dude, like, he he really knows a lot, like, and, and recently I've been thinking about, like, when Buck, when I was in college, freshman year, Buck is the age I am now, so I was, like, I was ne- not necessarily looking at him as this old, cool dude, I was just looking at him as a cool dude, but, like, but he's older, always around college students, and so now I'm, like, damn, are students looking at me like that, so I have to... <laughs> So I got to be cool and I always try to keep up with the cool things. So if they see me at orientation, they associate me with that. Who is this? Who is this old guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> but he's cool, so I need to get to know him. So I always try to, I always try to equate that somehow. Hmm. But um, I got the job in the housing office second semester. My freshman year of winter break, they needed someone to work. And they let me work there. And I got to stay on campus that summer, I mean that break and uh buck was in the office uh, every day and he had just had a daughter around that time too and so just being able to have that access to walk down the hall and ask him a question or just hearing how everybody talked about him and if you think about it like all the cool people have one name like Cher, Kobe, Seal, buck you know what i'm saying it's like <laughs> you know it, I mean? admit it's there <laughs> yeah so you know so so that freshman year going to the sophomore year and then i got selected to be an ra and then the ra training when i we spent like the whole days together with buck and karen and the rest of the professional staff and the ras doing resident assistant training i was really just gravitated towards them of like okay i think i want to do this I want to do his job type of thing, like, clearly. Because I didn't I didn't even consider that if you work at a college. Like, you go to school for that, and, and that's a job, and you get a degree for that. I mm. hadn't even considered that. But then as the years went on, like, he kind of just took me under his wing and introduced me to some professional associations. Um, he gave me opportunity over the summer, I think of my sophomore year, to participate in this program called the Foundation for Teaching Economics as a program coordinator. I knew nothing about the program, but he was like, yo, you wanna go to LA and Boston this summer? Uh, and my first question was, how much does it cost? Like, they're gonna pay for everything. I was like, "Yes, yeah, sign me up. So <laughs> I did that, And I'm still a part of that program now. And now I'm in a position, he was a student administrator at the time in the company, which is like the highest level you can go on the leadership side. And so now for the last four years, I've been a, a student administrator with this, with this company also, and he, and he trained me. I got to do my training with him at a program four years ago in Berkeley, but it is really every opportunity I can think of. Like whenever I need advice, I call Buck. My, my career success is credited to Buck in terms of, you know, mentorship and really being able to just call someone and ask for advice or questions. I like Buck is, I guess my go-to, and he's just—he's just a down-to-earth guy. And like, you know, he's comical. Well, he thinks he's comical. <laughs> You—you
0: cool. better you be careful. He's got to be listening to this. You know that?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I might need a next recommendation letter. <laughs> but, <laughs> But what really is a, you know, if you think about influence and if you think about, like, you know, Michael Jordan influenced Kobe. Like, so for me, and me trying to do the best work that I can, I'm going to go out there and say in, in, in our field, for me, like, Buck is the Jordan to my Kobe type
0: of mm. thing, you know mm. what I
1: mean? So um, every move I'm watching, I'm, you know, taking notes in meetings like, well, what will Buck do? Or like, you know, what will Buck say? Or how do I remember Buck handling this type of situation? So um, so definitely a big uh, influence. And after two years of being in R.A., at the time, there was this rule that you've only been RA for two years. And so my concern was, I'm not gonna have any place to live and I can't afford to pay for housing. And I wanted to go into this field. So Buck actually let me create a student position that I wanted. And so I created an assistant hall director position or hall coordinator position or something like that, where I still got to have a student leadership position on campus within Residence Life and it was still free. Mm. So then I was like, oh man, like he really pouring into me and offering these resources. I went to a uh this conference for future housing and residence life leaders. Um, and and I was like, okay, this is this is where I need to start. And he introduced me to all that stuff. Um and so Dated, dated since back then, man. Like that that sophomore year, two thousand five, two thousand six. I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta get in with Buck. How I get in, and he's, you know, even to this day, like right now, with all this, you know, uh, with the racial climate of the country that we're in, Buck checks in probably two to three times a week, just a text like, "How you doing? Thinking about yeah. you?" You know. Um, yeah, so definitely, definitely grateful for Buck.
0: I, I, I really admire the fact that not only can you identify opportunities, but you're so great at at creating those opportunities for yourself. Like if you were to give someone instructions on how to like cultivate that mentality, because it's like, I, I don't think a lot of people would go out of their way to drop in on residence life you know, two, three times a week, just to, you know, Hey, did anyone quit? Did you fire anybody and continuously check in on that? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you teach something like that?
1: Well, I think you have to, that's a good question. I'm, I'm wondering if it's a matter of having to experience something where you want something so bad or you need something so bad mm. in order to do that. But, um, I think the lesson can be taught on, you know, identifying the the need and convenience, I guess. Um, For me, so, so for me, it was I need a job and the office down 10 stairs, it looks like a cool place to work. How, what can I do? How can I set myself up to get in that position to where it's meaningful for me and where I can uh, contribute to the environment or the space. So I think the first thing is identifying the need. Mm. Um, You know, identifying the need and positioning yourself to Mm. be able to articulate how you can meet that need, but then also putting that need above what's in it for you. So, or or at least selling that the best you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. So, and so it's just you you gotta and you got to want it also. You gotta you gotta want it. I think that's the thing too. You gotta figure out how am I gonna how am I gonna get there? What are you willing to do to get there? What are you they could have said, We don't have anything in the day, but we have this overnight shift you can work and then if something opens up in the day, we can we can let you know are you willing to do that if that pops up like what what are the reasons why you want to be there and what conditions are you willing to accept mm. I, being honest with yourself about that and then taking it taking it from there if they would have said we have an overnight i would have it because then i'm still going down those 10 flights of steps that i wanted to do i still have a job the whole criteria that i set for myself is there now it's just this but it's overnight
0: yep okay hmm cool. yeah I, I totally agree with that um, I think giving on convenience a little bit in the sense of like you know so many people like want it but they wanted exactly how they want it not like I don't want to work overnight to get me one step closer to something I want to get to where you're like I'll do whatever I need to do to get there yeah. I think the other big hurdle I see a lot of people, if they, if they're like, I'll do whatever, um, the other big thing is just rejection. Like a lot of people, half the battle is just asking and, and like content and you checking in once a week and being rejected. Probably what, I mean, if you didn't get a job until winter break, you might've asked what, 10 times before then, what, how do you, that was was four months. (laughs) So how do you, like, how do you break out of the, the negativity of rejection or how do you like, just stop caring about rejection?
1: Well, I think that's the thing, well, for me, I mean, I, I can't let it consume my my hustle and my thoughts and drive. Mm. Um, the persistence and consistency, it's almost like for every no it's a with the same person. So in this particular case, all those 10 times that I asked for a job, it was like an interview 10 times. Mm. So on the 11th time, when they called me and said we have a position open over winter break, do you want it? There was no interview associated with it. It was a yes or no because the first time they can see, okay, he applied. Second time they'll see you followed up. The third time they'll see you followed up again and you're asking questions. You see what I mean? So you showed up, you followed up you followed up again and then ask questions about what's going on within the organization. So that's going to show them that, okay, we got somebody here. He could be a good candidate. Um, we're, We're learning more and more about them. So I think you can't necessarily let the no's and the rejections define your drive or, you know, your hustle because if that's the case, every time it's a no, you're just shutting down and you're not building on a lesson. It's not a, you know you're not building yourself up you, you you're starting over every time when that shouldn't be
0: the case mm, that's a a beautiful frame of reference on that i love that i think that's going to resonate with a ton of people um and i admire you for for doing that so well another thing that i i heard mentioned a couple times is uh your networking ability and i was actually really surprised and um, whenever you were talking about high school uh, when you said you only knew the person to your left and your right. That, that actually really surprised me because I, I, I want to read two quotes that I got from people uh, just so I, I, I can say okay. verbatim. Uh, sure. One person told me he, I would see him work the cafeteria like he was running for office. And then another person, without even knowing that that person said it, a different conversation entirely said he's like the mayor of every room he goes into like he like uh, people told me like you would spend 90 minutes in the cafeteria every single day of the week getting to know people and you didn't just know the important people in the room you knew the janitor by first name and his hobby all the way up to to as high as you could go what's what was driving that and what maybe changed from high school to college
1: college it was a it was all new to me and I knew that in four years, I didn't want to have those same feelings that I had in high school on graduation night mm-hmm. and getting to know people. So in the cafeteria. So let me tell you. So I had the lowest meal plan for my freshman year because that's, that's the only one I could afford. So if I hang out in the cafeteria, I'm going to know these people and they have all these meal swipes. <laughs> for me, it was a hey, why are you sitting by yourself like like tell me a little bit about yourself type of thing. And that's really get to know each other. And then it's like, uh, like, oh, you want to get something to eat? Yo, I'm out of meal swipes this week already. And they're like, oh, I got this many left, let me get you. Okay, cool. <laughs> so then you sit down and then you start talking and it's more about like, I wasn't necessarily looking for that, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say no to it if I need a meal also. So then I'm gonna get to know, you know, your story and get to know a little bit about you. So then when I see you around campus, I can say hello to you, and then if you're still by yourself somewhere else on campus, I'm going to pull you into this group and say, yo, mm-hmm. meet John, I was in the cafeteria last week. I ran out of meals. John had me. He had my back. I'm not necessarily putting John out there as a person who's always going to be able to get your meal for you, but John got this incredible story. He's in the sports. This is his favorite team, and then I know you like this team also, so maybe you and John can connect, and then I'm I'm out. I'm out to the next connection that I can make because now I've tied these two together and I'm gonna be that common link so that if we ever wanna do something together, let's do it. John has the meals. Billy over here has the, uh, has the car, you know? So you got the meals, the transportation. Oh, John, you don't have a car? Billy has a car, you need to go to the grocery store? Cool. And then I can fall in wherever I, wherever I can in that mix. But everybody has a story, type of thing. And so all the ears that I was given, I just wanted to do that for everybody else, too, man. Um, like, Ms. Roz in the cafeteria. I think she works in the UC now. I just saw her a couple months back when I went to visit Webster. Like, people just have amazing stories. And his and book, book, also another book reference buck told me he taught me about the value in remembering someone's name and greeting them by name Mm. like it really means a lot to people and so i I just tried to do that you know what i mean and then be as genuine as possible all the time um people think i never went to class because i was in marlottos all the time but i i did go to class i had very early morning classes and then night classes. I was a big fan of the four-hour night classes. Yeah, so during the day I could have all this fun. You tell me I can have all this fun during the day and go to class one day a week for four hours with a 30-minute break. Sign me up. <laughs> Let's do it. Like why why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> so um but yeah, it was it was just a different experience and opportunity. In college. I didn't I didn't want to have that same feeling that I had in high school. And because because it really is like a in high school, I was Dan Goines. That was me. Mm. Webster, I showed up the first day of my psychology class. There were like seven Dans in the classroom. So I changed my name to D that day. Like wow. I remember she was calling out the role and she was like, Daniel Miller, Daniel Johnson. I was like, shit. I'm, I kept doing like this every time. I was like, nah. Just when you say going, is that's when I'm raising my hand. So, and I was like, can you just call me D? And she was like, D. I was like, yeah, just call me D. And they and and so I felt like I was reinvented. And you and got so the one name D, now too.
0: It's I had the dangerous. one name now. You know what I'm
1: saying? <laughs> I had the one name. And so D was like, all right now. Now I'm D, and I, I felt good about that. I was like, okay, I'm D. How you doing? I'm D. I'm D, I'm D, I'm D. Nobody knew me as Dan Goins. That was such a a no-namer. You know what I mean? That's how I felt. Like, I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do nothing with that name. You go to my high school and say, Dan Goins. Like, oh, the dude, I, I did have ISS for, like, I had in-school suspension for, like, three weeks one time. they like, oh, the dude who had in-school suspension for three weeks? Yeah, that was me. But that's it. I don't know. to be. I want to be just that. And so as soon as I, and when I saw how easy it was like to just talk to people and especially at Webster, it could have, it could have been the same anywhere else. I don't know. I can't speak to that, but at Webster, it was just, it was just easy to talk to people, man. And people responded well. I never was a in high school. I wasn't a popular dude, even at Webster. I never strived to be this popular person. You know what I mean? I just wanted to, If somebody, I felt like if somebody wasn't having a good time like I was having, I wanted to try to figure out how to get them to have a good good time like I was having, because I was like, this is college. And it wasn't like just all like the party scene. Like, you know, I couldn't go to, I couldn't really go to parties in college like that because of the different student leadership positions I held, and especially being an RA. So it was like. Shit, partying is out of the question. But if I did go to a party, it would be like, oh shit, D at this party. And I'd be like, hey y'all, look, I really ain't supposed to be here, so let's keep it that You know, always kept a I was intentional about keeping a water bottle. Anytime anybody had any pictures, the water bottle was in hand. I just want <laughs> everybody to know. The hey, water bottle in hand.
0: Let's let's mark that as a tip for any college students listening right now. Keep keep that that water bottle in hand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> keep that water bottle in hand. And you know, we had. We had people that, you know, would really looking back. Man, it was it was funny sometimes. Like I'll be like, "Yo, I want to go to this party tonight," and some of my friends would be like, "Yo, well, we'll go and we'll make sure that everybody coming there is twenty one and up, mm. you know, before you get there type of thing." And just just, which I felt, you know, I'm I'm grateful for those people and that you know people were willing to do that for. Like for me, because I was like, you know, an RA, and if anybody drinking under twenty one, I didn't want to be associated with that. Yeah. But I also wanted to have a good college experience. You know what I mean? So people was like, "We got you. We're gonna,
0: mm. we're
1: gonna figure out anything that we can do." So That's I cool. think probably throughout the four years, I probably went to like six parties. You know, what <laughs> I mean, and people looked out, but it was a, um, you know, Webster's a small place, so everybody's a big fish. Mm. So it just it just, man, it, it really was the best four years of my life, man, honestly. And, like, it was so easy to network there. And another mentor, Benjamin Akande, who's about to be the president of Champlain College in um, Virginia, he told me that networking is not about what somebody can do for you only, but it's mutual. Like, it has to be something mutual. Mm. So, and even if they can't give you something, are you still willing to have that connection? And I was like, absolutely, because it's a it's, it's a person, you know what I mean. Yeah. And so um, that that just really stuck with me, also, man. And-
0: yeah. So you've talked a ton about uh, people that have inspired you, mentors of yours, uh, but I know you're you're probably it, it, I'm sure you're gonna struggle to admit this, but you're a ton of people's mentor as well a role model you inspire so many people one of those is is our mutual connection the person that actually introduced us Kevin McWilliams and um it was it was crazy to hear him talk about you I have never heard him talk to, about somebody like that he was telling me this one story one day you called him out of the blue and um he picked up the phone and he was like and you're like hey man Kevin like I just saw a commercial and it made me think of you just wanted to know how you're doing And he's like, he told me that it was like a 10 minute conversation. You guys just chat a little bit about what's going on and you hung up and he still remembers that conversation from probably eight to 10 years ago. It's crazy. And you've left that impact on him. And I would assume that your tons of students, uh, John bucks as well. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of students that are going to be talking about you on a podcast here in 10 years, saying, saying a ton of the same things. What, uh, you know what? What kind of mentality? What kind of legacy are you trying to leave? You know, inspiring, being a, a mentor to to the students that you work with.
1: Yeah. So you know, nothing but love for for Kevin McWilliams, man. Nothing but love. We went to the same high school, and so his experience is probably quite different than mine in high school. But um, you know, legacy and leaving. Like advice, I think it really comes down to, you know, don't let, you know, a situation define you or don't let a box define you or how somebody else labels you or the perception of you or what you are on paper. Don't let that be your, your full experience. Um, you know, really, you know, rise above the challenges, um, you know, prove that. In my case, I had to prove that I was not on academic probation. And so find something or allow an experience to really you know, drive every decision that you make and everything that you do and, and the greatness that you strive for. Just you know, be authentic and you know, remember your own core values. Stick to your goals. Don't give up, really. Don't let a no no stands for next opportunity. You know what I mean? So go, you know, go, go on to the next, to the next thing. You learn something from that experience. Now build on that, use that in your next interview or use that as an anecdote to say like why you deserve to be where you want to be. And so, Hmm. and just don't, really just don't quit. And if you know you want to do something, find a way to do it. I'm going to tell you this story. Anybody that knows me knows that the the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, man, that's, that's that's my guy. Like my dad, one early memory I have of my dad is him taking me to a wrestling show, and the Rock was like the main event wrestler, and this I was like, man, this guy's awesome. So from then on, I, I always watched wrestling Monday Night Raw, mm. and when the Rock was was wrestling. When I lived in California in 2013, they were building a new 49er stadium. And it was announced that in 2016, WrestleMania would be there. Um, WWE's biggest event of the year, WrestleMania, would be there. And The Rock is usually there in some capacity. So when the stadium was built in 2014, the new 49er stadium, I live in Santa Clara, California. Two minutes from the stadium i applied to be a 49 ers security uh, security for the 49ers so i interviewed i got the job cool was i interested in being security for the 49ers absolutely not what i needed was that credential that would get me into the stadium so i knew like okay game days i got the credential i can go to the stadium anytime i want to practices I'm team security, I'm good, you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm getting another players. I'm a Cowboys fan, so it would have been different if it was a Cowboys. But I'm getting another players, I'm getting another coaching staff, uh, the stadium management company, people cool. And I knew I had to I had to work there for two seasons in order to make it to twenty sixteen in WrestleMania. So go through those two seasons and then when 2015, 2016 season, um WrestleMania is in, I think, March or April or something like that. So the season had just ended, but I could still use my credential to, to work other events or to just get into the stadium. WrestleMania was on a Sunday the night before The Rock was hosting Saturday Night Live in New York. So I was like, damn, there's no way that The Rock is going to make it to California in time for WrestleMania follow The Rock on Twitter, Instagram, everything. I know he's an early riser. I know that he's a hustler He and he always says he's gonna be the hardest worker in the room. So I said, you know what? Let me show up to the stadium at about 5 a.m. I show up to the stadium at 5 a.m. on WrestleMania Sunday. I walk into the stadium, it's dark outside but the stadium is lit up, it's an outside venue. And the WWE staff, they're doing their um, rehearsals and walkthroughs or whatever that they need to do. And I look over, and I see this huge, this huge oh. upper body build with the hood on. No. And I was like, shit, man. That's the rock. So, you know, I'm geeking out. I was like, I have waited. Ever since I saw this dude, like, I want to be in a position to be in the same room with him to just at least shake his hand and say hi. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I built up the courage, man. And I was like, okay, I gotta get over to him. But so many people were around him. And I was like, I gotta wait for my opportunity. So I saw the direction he was walking in. I know, I know the stadium like the back of my hand. I knew that he would be housed in his special suite in the South Wing. So I made my way around there. And I was like, you know, like for the first time in my life, I, I could say nothing. I was speechless. I was like, hey Rock. And like he was like, what's up, man? I was like, can I get a handshake? So, like, you know what I'm saying? So I gave a handshake. And I was like, hey man, you my hero. But I, I wanted to say so much more than that. You know what I mean? But my plan was two years, two and a half years prior, get through credential so that I could be in a position to make this happen. And True story. Once that happened, I called my wife and two of my friends who were visiting, and I said, "I'm done with this job. I got some tickets to the show. Come to the stadium, and we'll sit in the stands." I took off my uh, my work my work suit, bought a T-shirt at the at the uh, WWE shop stand, and we were in the stands watching the show. Yeah. So. <laughs> so not, you know, having a plan, man, and not giving up and, like, knowing you got to, like, you have to make stuff happen. Like,
0: mm.
1: who are your family? Mm. Like, that didn't impact my family at all. But I'm just saying, like, if you if you got to do something, like, you got to do it. If you are motivated, like, you will find a way to do it. Mm. Like, yes, the experience was good. It was good. you know, stand on the sidelines, you know watching the games, having the access and, and the appearance, like, you know, looking up in the stands and people like, yo, can you give me this? Can you give me this, this sign? Sure. Give it to me. I'll give it to you third quarter. I'll bring it back to you type of thing. So that was cool. And it was, it was cool to, to look important. And the rock also said this, he said, it's nice to be important, but more important to be nice. Mm. And so having that mentality. And I think, you know, at Webster, I wouldn't consider myself important at all because, you know, I was just trying to have a good experience. But I will say that I I can't say I was nice or I tried to be nice to every person that I ever interacted with. And when when I reflect back on, you know, people, at Webster, who contributed to my experience. Um, it, you know, I feel like I owe, I owe that 10 times over to, to anybody who I interact with, even in my students. Now, like somebody has a balance on their account and they say, I don't know, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to live here. It's up to me to figure it out. Mm. Like, how can I help this student? Freshman year, I got a call Friday. No, Thursday, right before winter break, that I still had a hefty balance on my account and that I was gonna to have to move out, but I could still work on campus. I was like, I gotta move out. I mean, I gotta go home. I don't have my Ford Tempo with no muffler anymore. Like everything I need is right here. So as everybody was moving out winter break um, on my floor, I was the last person to move out or I, my plan was to be the last person to move out because I wanted, I wanted those memories, man. I want those, I wanted those memories to stick with me of all the fun I had on this floor before I had to leave. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to leave and people be like, D where are you going? Like, and I had to be like, I was embarrassed to say, I have a balance on my account. I have to move out. I can't afford this. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I was too embarrassed to say that. Mm. And so I was gonna wait until everybody else moved out. Then I was gonna move out and they came back in January and they just see me working in the office versus living there, I would've been cool with that. But shout out to Debbie Sullivan in the Bursar's office. Shout out to uh, Janice in the Bursar's office. Uh, Janice Neal, like that Friday, at like four o'clock, right before everybody had to be gone, Debbie Sullivan called me and she said, she called me Danny. She's the only person that called me Danny. She said, Danny, there is a Santa Claus and somebody paid my account that I owed for housing for that term. So my account balance was at zero going into the spring semester and I didn't have to worry about those fall housing charges. Don't know who came up and did that. I know my mom didn't show up with any prime pictures in the bursar's office. <laughs> I, I can tell you that for sure. I don't know you know, who, who did that or why or where the money came from, but, but I'm glad it did. And I, I just got rid of that voicemail. It just got deleted from my cloud. But now when students come to me, or if another staff member or a faculty member were to come to me and say this student is concerned about housing or they have a balance on their account, but they need to be here. I'll do everything I can To make sure that they're there. even if that means finding a private donor to pay for their student account or getting them a job on campus and working something out where they can just Pay us, but still make sure that their needs are met. We'll figure all that out because somebody did it for me. I don't know who. And so it's, it's my why. Like I have to do what I do. You know what I mean? So I have to, I don't have to do that, but I am required to do that because somebody
0: did it for me. Dude, thanks for sharing those two stories. I don't know which one was more impactful. The the rock, and that journey was incredible. But I mean, man, you really brought it home there with uh, the Santa Claus story. That's that's awesome. And I don't even want to comment on them because I think enough of them. You you said enough through that story. So thanks for sharing that. Um, in conclusion, I I'd be reluctant not to ask you about the racial climate that's going on right now. So uh, you know, would you be Open to spending a couple minutes here, just just telling me a little bit sure. about your feelings sure. and, and how things are going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first, thanks for bringing it up to be available to and a widespread audience that you will reach. So definitely appreciate that. Um, and is it a, a difficult topic? Absolutely, but it's not a new topic type of thing um, and I think that it's been a, that it's been the hardest part to artic- articulate to everybody else that's not black necessarily because you know was this stuff happening before um, absolutely let me show you this right here so picture this, this candle and this candle holder as you know what's been happening the candle holder is all the incidents prior to the most recent incidents that were not captured on film, and this candle is a representation of what's been captured on film, mm-hmm. small part of the entire situation and so um, I'm glad that the conversations are happening. I am uh, you know always willing to talk about you know, allyship and and what that means. Personally, you know, I have, I didn't grow up with the mentality of, you know, if something happens, call the police, call 911, because unfortunately, I mean, I've never really looked at the police as, and I don't want to offend any listeners, maybe in law enforcement or police or anything like that. And I don't want to generalize. I've never been um, like, police are here to protect and serve my communities. That's not necessarily what I saw. And so I don't, and even in my experiences now of like, you know, my only interaction with police is being pulled over. Like I don't, when I was little police used to drive them down the street, giving out baseball cards. I don't think they do that anymore, but um, you know, as an adult, it's just been interaction with, with being pulled over. Is it always a, you know, some anxiety around that and, you know, like some steps around, okay, here's what I need to do to maintain safety. Absolutely. Is it draining? Absolutely. Are these videos hard to watch? Absolutely, especially when you when you see life being taken away from somebody like, you know, uh, just like that. And so lately I've just been trying to take a break from the, you know, the news and social media um and things like that but um you know this is over 400 years of, of suffering you know what i mean that's that some change has to happen and some change has to come and i think this is the uh you know the generation to do it but definitely i feel that the country is divided um politically and maybe um Well, I'll just say politically, I think that's the main um, driving force around the different responses that we're seeing now. You can either have a supportive response or you can have a a combative response type of thing, Uh, but we have poor leadership in the country um, and, you know, people people are fed up with things, man. And so... You know, I believe in peaceful protests. Um, riots are changing things. Man, one thing things that bothers me is, like, you know, people talking about looters and, well, you got to think about, like, I think you got to think about the why. But not everybody has the same why for doing that. Somebody may just want to go try to take a, you know, get an iPhone and try to sell it real quick. But if you have people that's really stealing because those are, those are their basic needs. The question is like, why is that even a problem? Why, what have we done or what have we not done to where people can't afford their basic needs so then they need to go and steal these things. So thinking about that, like, I can't necessarily say I have a, a problem with that because it's big corporations, you know what I'm saying? The mom and pop shops, man, I do feel bad for those type of places, those, those small businesses as a former small business owner. But like corporate places, man, somebody walking out of Target with a TV or some, you know, some Pampers or a stroller because that's what they need to give their kids, man. And they need it right now. Do what you got to do. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily, again, I don't think it's because they want to do that stuff. It's because they need to do that stuff. And then it's sometimes it's a matter of we're going to demonstrate we don't care Like, you're demonstrating that, not not saying you, um, just um, the system is demonstrating we don't care about black lives, so why am I going to care about this 55-inch TV? If you care more about a property than a person's life, then that's a greater conversation, a greater problem that you need to have. Mm -hmm. Where is all the helicopters? You know, you see on the news, you see the helicopters flying around and taking uh, shots of, people looting stores, where's the helicopters on every day when police are pulling police are pulling people over, like, where's the helicopter? Like, every time somebody's being pulled over, I need to see a helicopter if that's the case type of thing because, you know, the stories will be um, spun in different ways, but uh, we definitely got to make change in this country, man. And, um, you know, really, you know, people say, like, you know, they get mad when we say black lives matter. And they're like, Well, all lives matter. But in October we were pink for breast cancer only, right? We're not saying all cancers don't matter. We <laughs> we raised an awareness for breast cancer and you say we're pink. So you know, that's that's just how I can compare it, but like until we recognize black lives, man, then you it's whole, all lives, man. You can't really say that because Black is part
0: of it all. So. Mm, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. I super appreciate that. And I've been trying to do a ton of work as well and and have some authentic conversations and you know, of course, to support you, but but more importantly, to, to build a better world for your daughter. I mean, that's that, that's what we're all out here for. I, I It's not going to happen in, in a month. Um, We, yeah. we realize it's got to take some time, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad, I think a lot of people are waking up right now and in trying to do some work and and really reflecting any advice um, you know, this podcast is geared towards the twenty-something, um, yeah. but but I want to get even more focused than that. Uh, you know, talking specifically about you know uh, white males, you know, myself included, in that the twenty-year-old um, that really wants to to make some impact here and realizing that that white males probably have the biggest voice here in the United States. Um, so you know, how can we best utilize our voice to support someone like yourself and and you know, Black Lives and and push this forward would you give uh you know what what kind of advice would you give to someone like myself around being an ally
1: you know I would say you know call out call out the bullshit when you see it uh, call out the racism when you see it challenge uh you know challenge the status quo uh and really know that you know if if you are in a group and everybody sees something that's going wrong and you use your voice and then they wanna say, oh, you're out the group, you're not a part of this. Reflect on that to see how much of the problem you were a part of, but then knowing like, if you as one of five use your voice and you still have four more people out there who 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 are not woke yet and who don't see what the problem is. so. What can you do as, as the, the brave one to, you know, push the conversations forward and to be an advocate for change? So, um, you know, don't be scared to be the outcast, I guess is what I would say. You know, use your voice, um, be on the side of, of right and, you know, listen to your heart. You know, what I mean, don't let your head convince your heart, type of thing. Um, if you know, if you know that there's unjust things going on, like speak up to it. Um, you know, call it out. Be an ally. Check on folks. Let black people know you you see him, you hear him. You know, believe their stories, type of thing. Um, and don't try to question or or shape a story to make it fit with what you think that experience is. And really like, you know, believe it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that D I appreciate it. Um, well, I I appreciate you giving me so much of your time today. If uh, somebody wants to connect with you offline, maybe something resonated with you through one of the stories you told, which you are a phenomenal storyteller, man, you, you got a gift there. Uh, where, where's the best place for people to connect with you?
1: Uh, you can hit me on Twitter. I think it's at D E E U C M E. You can find me on Facebook, D Goins. Uh, you could also email me, D Goins, D E E G O I N E S, at gmail.com. Um, if you're ever in Dallas, hit me up. Happy to have a face to face, but yeah, pretty, pretty accessible on the social media as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Dean. We'll put all your links below if anybody's looking for them in the show notes. And uh, I hope that you and I can connect face to face one day. I'm moving down to Austin. So I'm going to be a little closer to you. And I got to make a trip over to Dallas sometime. And uh, maybe we can grab a beer or coffee or something.
1: Oh, yeah, let's do it.
0: (laughs) Final question for you is um, looking back now, what advice would you give your 20 year year old self?
1: Look around. I, I I would tell my 20 year old self to ask more questions in my friend group or those in my circle around how they got to where they are, um, meaning asking questions around, you know, what does your family do? Like, uh, how, how did you get here? And, and it's coming from a place of, you know, wanting to set up families and leave legacies, but I would ask more questions of my friend group i would tell my 20 year old self know something other than the name you know favorite sports and where five people in my circle live get to know like some deeper facts about them find about like their family upbringing and what um you know what what their family values are and then what their personal individual values are. Identify those things. And if they don't align with yours, find a different circle.
0: Awesome. I love that piece of advice, D. It's been an awesome conversation. It's not going to be our last. I, I know that for sure. I love the advice that you give here. And I appreciate you coming into the sandbox. I'll see you, D. Always right, been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If this episode brought value to you, share it with a friend and show love on social. You can tag me at Justin Lee Peters. The link to the show notes is in the episode description and we'll include all the resources we talked about today. This episode was produced by Gabby Dymakey. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time in the Sandbox.